welcome to our market update. I'm Todd Eckler, Chief Marketing Officer of Fiduciary Trust. Over the past three months, the novel coronavirus has evolved from a local epidemic in China to a global pandemic, leading many countries to take aggressive actions to reduce the potential human impact of the COVID-19 disease. As we've seen just over the past three weeks, this has led to a correction in the financial markets as investors are concerned about the economic implications of the virus and the associated business disruptions. To help keep you informed and better prepared, today we're going to discuss the current state of the novel coronavirus, the impact on the markets, and the key considerations for investment portfolios going forward. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olsen, our Chief Investment Officer. They'll take us through a discussion of these areas. Over to you, Austin, to kick it off. Thank you, Todd, uh, and welcome, Hans. A lot has uh, changed in the evolution of the coronavirus, the markets, our society, uh, and the economy since your last market update last week. Um, what is the current state of the virus's evolution? Without a doubt, Austin, the uh, numbers are, are, are not good. They're rising, they have been rising, and as we get better data, uh, they will continue to go up. But as of yesterday, confirmed cases stood at roughly 187,000, and confirmed deaths stood at uh, just under 7,500. So there's more to come uh, and more to be on watch for. So we're far from being on the other side of this at this juncture. And as we've seen the virus spread uh, from China and around the world, in terms of the developed world's economies, particularly the U.S. and Europe, what's the financial condition uh, look like? Well, like China, uh, when China got hit with this originally and we saw the slowdown, the grinding to halt of, of activity in places like Wuhan, it's happening now in the United States and Europe. You know, measures of financial stress, whether it be money market, equity markets, uh, availability of credit, uh, are all beginning to, to make themselves apparent in the measures of financial stress that we look at. And indeed, both the United States and the Eurozone are showing similar signs of stress. Austin, you'd have to go back to probably 2011 to see these types of dislocations in the, in the financial markets, both in the real economy and in the financial economy. And how is this playing out from a financial markets perspective? I think you and I would agree that over the last two days, we've lived a full years of volatility and, and movement, you know, uh, down 13% in the S&P and then up 6% yesterday. And we got a lot of press around those activities, but across all the different asset classes and geographies, how is this playing out? Without a doubt, Austin, the volatility that we've seen over the last couple of days has been something like we haven't seen since 2008 and 2009. If we open up the lens a bit and look at market returns since the market peaked in February, what we find is that equity markets down broadly, both here and abroad. The one place that uh, people have been able to find some refuge has been in U.S. bonds here at home, whether it be government debt, agency debt, uh, and the like. Gold, which is generally thought of as a haven during a crisis, is, has been down roughly 8%. Commodities, of course, um, led by oil, down about 18%. Oil itself, down roughly 40%. 
Emerging markets down uh, on the order of 24%. It developed international markets down around 28%. And, and here at home, large and mid-cap companies off roughly 26%. And small companies have gotten hit pretty hard, particularly hard. They're down around 35%. The one area that has been absolutely demolished uh, as a result of all of this is the MLP sector, which is sort of energy MLPs writ large. That's down almost 58% uh, since the market peak in February. Hans, do you have a perspective about how quickly this has transpired? My sense is this has been one of the fastest drawdowns or of this magnitude, but any points of view on that? You know, Austin, that's a good point. It's a good question. Uh, we were looking at this uh, over the last couple of days. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another episode or another event where we saw we've seen this type of drawdown in capital markets and indeed this type of seizing up of economic activity even back during the great financial crisis the initial hit if you will happened in february of 2007 and it was fully a year and a half later when the lehman moment hit uh, in september of 2008 and from an economic perspective, uh, the recession didn't start until the end of 2007. This has all happened almost in real time and in a very compressed way over, over the span of several weeks as the, the virus spread has, has increased. So this is really unlike anything we've ever seen before. One area that has been particularly hit, and this may be more broad, is uh, in the oil space. There was a meeting of the OPEC members to discuss cutting output. However, they couldn't reach agreement. And so independent of sort of the virus having impact on uh, oil prices, what, what's your thought on that? Well, without a doubt, crude prices have been hit very hard both domestic prices as measured through the West Texas Intermediate and the international be uh, benchmarks, which were measured by Brent crude. And that, that dynamic that you mentioned between OPEC and markets also had the, the element of, of the coronavirus taking hold. So as corona spread, there was concerns about a slowdown which caused oil prices to fall. When OPEC met in Vienna and failed to not only get an agreement to pull back production, but a price war broke out really in conflict between the Saudis and the Russians, the Saudis decided to pump more and offer enormous discounts on its oil to its important customers in the West, which caused oil prices to fall even further. So there was a self-reinforcing mechanism between conflict within OPEC and the impact of the coronavirus on the overall economy that forced oil prices down to unsustainably low levels for companies that are operating in the uh, energy patch here in the United States. And so we'll see some, some effects of that as this continues. Hans, when you couple one aspect of decline in demand for oil and then add in the magnitude of the coronavirus with social distancing uh, and the aspect of some concerns or observations around the credit markets. What's that look like right now? It looks quite ugly, Austin. We've been talking about for some time problems within the plumbing of the financial markets. 
And this, as we talked uh, last week in our note, concerns about the operation of the treasury market, uh, the, sort of the depth of liquidity in that market. Then it spread into the commercial paper market. And a lot of what we've seen uh, over the last several days on the part of the government is to try and, and reliquify these markets, provide liquidity so that we don't have a repeat of 2008. Where we, what we see right now is especially in the leveraged loan market, a market that we've been concerned about for some time, prices have fallen off a cliff there. They're down into the mid to low 80s. We haven't seen these types of levels uh, since 2011. If we look at the high yield markets, uh, the option adjusted spreads or these spreads that measure how much incremental yield you get over a comparable treasury security, have really popped up. They've expanded tremendously, all in this uh, in this environment of concern, not only about funding, but also you know the impact of business activity on the ability of these companies to service their debt. So Hans, one of the questions I have is again, you're talking a little bit, particularly in the credit markets. What we're experiencing right now, I heard a number of people talk about, has characteristics of 08 of uh, you know 9-11, how do you think about what characteristics of past shocks to our financial systems or recessions, how do you, how do you view that today? Well, it's an odd mixture of 2008 and 2001. In 2001, right after the terrorist incidents, uh, American commercial activity ground to a halt. And that's essentially what's happening right now. In 2008, the financial system came under tremendous and systemic stress. What's different in this environment is that we have all sorts of uh, uh, backstops that have been put into place as a result of 2008, sort of the lessons learned, if you will, whether it be credit facilities um, for the commercial paper markets, uh, dealer facilities and the like, and a more muscular response on the part of the central bank and Congress. These were all lessons learned in 2008. And what we're finding now is that these, uh, the governmental agencies now are responding much quicker and in a much more muscular fashion than they did then to try, put a double line under this. So let me ask, because I think a lot of uh, investors obviously are concerned given the size uh, and the speed of this market decline, as, as we've talked about. And I guess the question that comes forth is, you know, what steps uh, should an investor consider at this point in this, this journey that we're on, right? Uh, what's going on in the markets? Because I think you'd also say it's, it's not over. No, it's not over. We still have a bit to work through as infection rates become better known and it becomes apparent of what the social distancing, the shelter in place, all these efforts to contain the virus, it's not clear how they, how bad the economy has been hit. We know it's going to get hit hard. And indeed, second quarter GDP could actually be a negative print. And, and it remains uh, yet to be seen you know, how much of this will spill over into the third quarter. So there's quite a bit there that we've yet to see. But most importantly, from an investor standpoint, it's, it, it's critical that they don't engage in a market that's disorderly, which gets really to the point of thinking about what should they do. And the first thing that you should do is not try to time the market. If our experience with 2007 
2007-2008 showed us anything. It showed us that trying to get out of the market and staying in cash, we're trying to get out of the market and entering the market a year later, has a material impact on um, the value of their equity portfolios or the value of their overall portfolios. Um, so that, that's the first thing. I think the second thing, if you're looking at it from a total portfolio perspective, if you view it through the lens of a balanced or a portfolio or a 60-40 stock bond portfolio, what we find is for the most part, after three years and five years, you're, if past is prologue, you're higher than where you were um, after the crisis. And in a number of cases, you're actually even higher six to, to one, months to one year after the, after the shock. So pretty much in all cases, you're better off three to five years, which says that do nothing in the short term. Uh, it would almost be shelter in place from a portfolio perspective. I think the, the important thing to remember is that when you are looking at trying to time markets, which is a devilishly difficult affair, um, you know, if you look at the data going back to 1995 and you were fully invested in the S&P 500, your returns would be on the order of about 7%. If you missed the 50 best days uh, over that time period, you go from a 7% return to a negative 2.5% return. So tr the, the, the timing issue has real costs and, and it forces you to have to get it right all the time in order for it to make sense, which is impossible to do. As I think you're underlying one of the aspects about uh, staying calm, being aware of the factors, but I think you're also talking about managing behavioral biases, right? But in the standpoint of of taking a long-term perspective, given the, uh, the the volatility that's currently in the play in market, is that correct? That's absolutely right, Austin. When you look at you know from 1950 through 2019, you know, over over a 10-year rolling period, over a five-year rolling period a portfolio that has both stocks and bonds will produce positive returns. And it'll pr produce positive returns most of the time, uh, even in a one-year period. So resisting that temptation to trade uh, when, when it seems like everything's coming apart is, is a behavior that, is, that will be rewarded over time and indeed rewarded in the shorter term as well, which is what history has shown us. So with that said, let me pose the question to you, which is with these major corrections in the markets, right? So again, taking a long-term perspective, are there going to be areas that will uh, present themselves over the next weeks or months that you are interested in and that you may want to evaluate and nibble at when the right time appears? Indeed there are, Austin. Uh, that's what I'll, we're spending a lot of our time on right now. I think the first place we'll look to invest money is in the high yield markets when the yield spreads get even higher than where they are right now. We're actively looking at the loan market, something that we have stayed clear of for years now. And then finally, we're looking at a number of opportunities that are developing here at home in the US market. You know, we've been focused on Europe because that is where the opportunities are, where we thought the opportunities were given valuations and growth, but with asset prices being marked down the way they have in the United States, it's hard to believe that the rest of the world would recover without the U.S. leading the way. 
and consequently there are some really good opportunities we think developing here at home as well. Hans, we've covered a lot of different topics uh, over just past period of time. What are the key points that you think are important for clients to remember at this point of our navigation through this process? Austin, I think there are three points that people should keep in mind. The first one is that the economic effects of this event are yet to be fully understood. However, it is clear, right, that the second quarter GDP and possibly third quarter GDP will be challenged. Indeed, expect a negative report during the second quarter uh, GDP report. The second item is don't try to time these markets. Trading has been extremely volatile, in, indeed volatility that we haven't seen in roughly 12 years. And at times it's been panicky. So engaging with disorderly markets is never a recipe for success. So if you don't have to trade, don't trade. Easiest thing to do is simply step away. And the final thing is that at the end of the day, this bear market will pass and the economy will recover and asset prices along with it. If past is prologue, markets will be higher in the next 18 months than where they are right now. Thank you, Hans, for your remarks. It's our intention to continue our ongoing dialogue with our clients and our broader community, and we will continue to have podcasts or webinars as appropriate. So again, appreciate your thoughts at this point, and we'll look forward to continuing this dialogue as the markets evolve. I'm back to you, Todd. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the discussion useful. You may find additional insights on our website at fiduciary-trust.com. If you have questions or if we can be of assistance, please contact Rick Tyson, a Vice President at Fiduciary Trust at 617-292-6799. Thanks again for joining. The opinions expressed in this podcast are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. The materials discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and not intended to be or should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice and listeners should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with their investment, legal, or tax advisors. Copyright 2020 Fiduciary Trust Company.